Sam. Yeah, Don? What's that sound? Sounds like whining. You know what a whine is? No. What? Fear escaping from a very small hole. Where'd you hear that? I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Who are we, you might be asking yourselves? Perhaps some sort of introduction is in order? You look like a boiled owl. <laughs> hey, I'm as sober as a judge should be. <laughs> no, I'm talking about those owl feathers. Well, you're talking about the Boiled Owl podcast that we did for four years. BoiledOwlAA.org. When you're still in the single digits, a half counts. So we've been publishing for four and a half years. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll go with that. And it's an interview podcast, so we call it The Meeting After the Meeting. So we were invited to create a podcast for AA Grapevine, and this is it. We are looking forward to seeing how much fun we get to have with this. We're going to be all over the place. <laughs> all kinds of different things planned. I got sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous in 1994, pretty much a pure drunk. I walked into the rooms of AA and quit drinking, and I've been sober ever since. What's your sobriety history, Sam? Well, it's not as succinct as that. No, I wouldn't expect <laughs> just knowing you. I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a little bit more complicated history than I do as far as that goes. Well, I am complicated. Yes, okay. It's true. <laughs> I got sober in 2003 after getting uh, started in AA in 2002, but my first meeting was in 1989, but y'all scared me too much and I hadn't really had any consequences yet. <laughs> but in 2012, a moment of clarity hit. Uh, the way I was using poppers and diet pills wasn't sober for me, and an intense need to be honest with my friends in recovery led me to reset my sobriety date then, and I've been completely sober since 2012. I've never heard you put that in such a simple statement before. Very good. <laughs> oh, there's a whole lot more I can flesh out on that story, but that'll come out in drips and drabs as we do podcasts. Our listeners get to know us. And of course, the same's true with me. It wasn't just walk in, quit drinking, and everything has been great ever since. <laughs> Are you saying you weren't rendered white as snow? Uh, no, I have owl feathers. <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Don, did a doctor ever suggest you clean up your act? As a matter of fact, yes. My wife thought that I might have a drinking problem and suggested I go see a doctor because I was having problems with my hands tingling and there was some shaking going on. She made an appointment with a doctor that she knew. And he asked me how much I drank. Well, of course, I said, uh, about three beers a night. You know, I'm minimizing this. <laughs> and he said, every night? <laughs> Maybe I drink a little bit more on the weekend. This guy was really upset by that. 
And he was going, that is a lot of alcohol. Well, I just wrote the whole thing off as he's a doctor. So he's obsessive about health and I'm not. So <laughs> I, I really didn't have a problem. And it was four more years before I quit drinking. I really did not take his advice at all. Mm-hmm. I'm really shocked that you would lie to a doctor, Don. I'm, I'm you know, and alcoholics, <laughs> we don't we don't lie to medical professionals. I've never heard of such a thing. Well, today we're talking to Michael M. about his story in this month's Grapevine magazine. Cooperation with the professional community, also known as CPC, is uh, this month's topic. And Michael's article is We Show Them on page 17 of the October 2021 issue. Hello, I'm Michael and I'm an alcoholic and I live in New York City. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Michael, welcome. Thank you. You don't need to rehash the whole story that appears in this month's Grapevine magazine, but just in the general terms, what's it about? I got sober when I was 28. When I was about 25, 26, I looked in the mirror and I remember thinking that I had a tomato head. You know, it's, I was extremely skinny and I had this giant red face. I actually was afraid I was going to have a stroke. Oh. And that's a problem in my family. So I went to the doctor. He started asking me about my alcohol intake. It was not aggressive, just something, you know, he had a list of things he was asking about, what I ate, did I smoke, mm-hmm. things like that. I lied to him. No. I, well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I told him I had a good time in college, but I left that behind. Now I had, you know, wine with dinner and with clients. I worked in the advertising uh, business. He seemed to believe me. He sent me to another specialist, cardiologist, same thing, same questions, same whys. These guys are worried about your health. They are. And I think, you know, this was the 80s. And I just don't think that doctors kind of took my cardio issues as seriously as they do today for younger people. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I passed the stress test and they said, uh, you know, cut down on the salt. So I was like, sure thing. <laughs> it's the salt. <laughs> I can do that. It's, it's the salt on the rim of the margarita. Uh, after margarita, after margarita. So relieved. So relieved. Yeah. <laughs> and feeling that I had fooled them. And that's a great feeling for an alcoholic. Yes, indeed. I got sober two years later, mm. you know, everything went to hell in a handbasket and or hell in a minivan, as they say today. Did your <laughs> face get less red once you got sober? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, I got sober and, and the advice was, okay, now it's time to go to all the doctors, be honest with them and see where your health is. Mm. I went to a dentist and I had been a dentist since I was probably uh 12 or 13 uh, right i had 12 cavities <laughs> that's what i remember oh wow yeah i did that as well i, I waited you know i went to the dentist every about 14 years whether i needed to or not yeah <laughs> uh, and you brushed your tooth daily right yeah, I, don't, I did not floss <laughs> uh, and you go through all that nightmare of getting crowns and drilling mm-hmm. and at the end of that i was like I don't want to live like this anymore. 
It's funny what happens when we stop poisoning ourselves, right? Well, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not to be assumed because I certainly have sponsored a lot of guys along the way who still don't want to go to the doctor. You know, there's a doctor phobia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly enough. Now, one of the things that you wrote about in your article is that the, the CPC side of thing, cooperation with the professional community, and that you were part of a meeting to help doctors understand Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, it's a, it's a program I didn't encounter until I moved to New York. There was an announcement that there was going to be a, a demonstration meeting for doctors. I was an intergroup rep, and I thought, well, I'm going to go participate in that because then I can come back and tell my group about it, give them some information about service they could do. So I go to this thing. Cool. Very good. As I was sitting in there in the orientation, I remembered going to those doctors when I was 26 and lying about it. And I hadn't really thought about that until I heard this particular doctor, the administrator of this program, talk about trying to help doctors understand alcoholism. You know, a lot of things came back to me. Like, I was really good at at lying about my drinking because I had learned to do that at a very young age, not to cover up my drinking, but to cover up the drinking going on in the house. If anybody asked me, is there a problem at the house? Was your mother drunk the other day? Anything like that, I was ready. And the answer was no. I don't know what you're talking about. That's ingrained that drinking is shameful. Oh, yes. For one reason, because our behavior when we're drinking can be very shameful. And then we take in the message that alcoholism itself is shameful. I I certainly had that when I came in. Yeah. So you don't want to talk to a doctor about it. You don't want to talk to anybody. No authority figure. No. You want to tell teachers, Mm -hmm. ministers, concerned grandmothers, neighbors, anybody who could threaten the house. I was a kid in the 60s and the 70s. Many people were willing to go along with that. If I said, no, there's no drinking here. And I said that firmly. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. Today, I think it's different. Mm -hmm. I think people are generally more aware of what's going on, but uh, it was easy to fool a lot of people. So you were saying you you got the opportunity or it happened to you that you could see the other side. You could see the doctor's point of view for the first time at this meeting that you were going to go to. Well, it is, you know, it's, I've heard this over and over from health professionals is that there isn't much attention to this issue of alcoholism in medical school training. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that has changed Mm -hmm. a lot based on what I've been told. And so they don't know much more than the patient. By the time I walked into this office, I knew a heck of a lot more about alcohol and alcoholism, not from the AA point of view, but from the lived point of view than the doctor. Mm -hmm. So the doctors don't have the knowledge to know what to ask. They don't necessarily know the signs. They can't read between the lines because they don't have that experience. They don't have that training. And so that's why alcoholics are so great at fooling them. Sure. This isn't because they're arrogant or they don't care. They just don't know. Mm -hmm. And here I was in this conference room with, these were uh, pediatricians, residents. So they were pretty young and they were very, very interested in understanding this because they had already encountered a phrase that just dropped me in my tracks. 
child alcoholism. One doctor talked about, she said, I see middle school kids who already have a problem. What do I say to them? Wow. What do I say to their parents? And that's why they were there. So what you did was put on a meeting for them. Yeah. So how many people showed up to put on this mock meeting? So that group picked a chair to chair this commitment for two years. And he reached outside the group for people as well as in his group. So there was a mix of younger and older people. So we literally just gathered around a conference table with the doctors at the other end of the room watching us. And we put on a meeting. And you had a real meeting read how it works, the preamble. Uh, we had a speaker, one of us told the story, and then we had sharing. And then we closed with the serenity prayer. And the, some of the doctors joined in, some sort of awkwardly looked on. That was not my first experience putting on a demonstration meeting for doctors. So I went into that thinking this would be helpful. I was part of a demonstration meeting in Moscow in 1988 before Russian doctors. It was their first exposure to AA or alcoholism and the possibility of recovery. And we did the same thing, only there were about 100 doctors and we were on a table. Oh, wow. And uh, I experienced with those pediatricians the same thing I did then. A few minutes pass and we enter that special space of a meeting where my anxiety begins to taper down. I stop worrying about whatever problems I came into the room with. I feel a part of, and suddenly I can sort of be honest about my life. And I can also care about what's going on with you. And quite honestly, that usually ebbs and we have to do it all over again tomorrow. That's right. <laughs> True. But, but it's a special time inside of a meeting. Yes. Indeed. Michael, I love, I mean, I got chills as you were describing that. And I got chills when I read your article as well about how, you know, it felt awkward at first, um, but it was perceived by the doctors as being one of a really genuine experience yeah. that they had, had witnessed. Now, my Russian experience was not in the article, but I was certainly thinking about that because at the end of our meeting in Moscow, one of the doctors asked if he could join our group. He said, I became a doctor because I knew there was something wrong with me my whole life and I wanted to figure it out. And today I figured it out. I'm an alcoholic. Oh, wow. Well, that's what we hope happens in every meeting that somebody can identify. Yeah, it does happen. So when I was with those pediatricians in this CPC program, there were a few there, doctors who expressed some feelings. And I thought, yep, it's happening here too. You know, the founders of AA discovered the power of a group of alcoholics sharing their experience. That's why this sort of, I think, approach to CPC work can be effective. What kind of questions do the doctors have for you? All of the doctors took different runs at the question, what do I say to the kid? Do I bring the parent in to talk about it? Do I talk to the parent separately? Do I talk about AA? Do I say they're an alcoholic? What do I do? So we did what we do in AA, 
try to stay away from what I think and move more into this is what happened to me. But we did talk about Alateen and we talked about the huge young people's wing of AA. Mm -hmm. AA now is welcoming of younger people and there's support for them. I would agree with that. And, and, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing you say is that, uh, you know, you, you didn't direct the doctors what to do. You didn't advise them what to say and how to behave, but you informed them. You let them know about Alcoholics Anonymous and way beyond what they probably would have been able to find out on their own. By doing that, they get a better wealth of information from which they can make their own decisions on how they're going to use it with their patients. I think that's a fan, it's what we do. Yeah. The purpose of this was to, having a demonstration meeting was not their only exposure to alcoholism, that this was a component of a, of a larger program for them. And it included looking at the 12 steps, studying some of the research on alcoholism. So by the time they saw us, they had kind of a bedrock of information. I think what's different is that, so when the kid comes in, the doctor is like, aha, I, I know what I have here, and this is going to be complicated. And that's very different from when I, as a 26-year-old, came into the doctor, and the, and the doctor didn't know what he had on his hands. Yeah. I go to a daily 5.30 AA meeting on Zoom, Shivering Denizens. It's an open meeting, and we often get nursing students from a local university, and they're welcome. One of the questions that we got at the end of the meeting was, I noticed that you all say your name and that you're an alcoholic. And we're trained to not label a person as the disease, to be the disease. The disease is separate, yet every one of you do it. What a great question. So we talked about admitting that I have a disease and I say that I'm an alcoholic to remind myself that I've got it and it's not going away and I need to continue to surrender and do the things that AA asked me to do to stay sober. If I don't continually remind myself, it's the nature of the disease that it'll come back and take over again. Right. She had no idea. This was all new, sir. And the other thing mm -hmm. that I got from that was like, you people share very personally. I once had a sponsee, <laughs> yeah. a sponsee whose uh, spouse said, you know, those people in AA will talk about anything. Yes. <laughs> it's true. We do. You know, we have a lot of hospitals and teaching hospitals in New York. It's not uncommon to have nurses. Oftentimes they enter the rooms of AA and they've had no preparation. I had a sponsee who complained to me that some nurses arrived at a closed meeting. Finally, some member said to the nurses, this is a closed meeting of AA, which means that people who are not alcoholics, you need to find an open meeting. An open meeting is for anyone who has an interest in alcoholism. Yeah, family and friends. Uh, and the nurses did not understand and they just stayed in the meeting. So my sponsor was pulling his hair out when I spoke to him later on. And we knew where the, the uh, nurses came from. So I said, why don't you talk to your group and contact CPC and let's go talk to that facility. Not me, but 
see who's organizing this and see if we can help make this program a little bit better. Help the nurses find the right meeting. Help the organization direct the nurses to the proper place where AA can be of help to them. Yeah, because I think it's, in many cases, it's just the nurses or the residents ticking a box. You know, like, I have to do Mm -hmm. nine things this semester, and one of them is go to an AA meeting. That's better than nothing, but if CPC can get involved, I think the encounter with AA is much stronger. I think that's a fantastic distinction you're making there of the uh, the effect of the CPC workshop, if you will, with the mock meeting versus a medical student or professional just going to any meeting out there. That's a huge difference. One of the things I'm curious about real quick is if somebody would like to know more about CPC service work, how would you recommend they go about that, Michael? Because AA is so decentralized, it's different in different places, but Oftentimes, the intergroup or central office may be involved and have a CPC committee. Contact them or contact your intergroup rep. Also, contact your area. If nothing else, go to aa.org and send them an email and say, I want to get involved in CPC in my area. How do I do that? And they will turn that over to the person who's on the CPC desk. That's why they're there. That's why GSO is there. They love taking those kinds of messages. Now that, even though we don't give advice, is some really good advice. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) Well done. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. A remorseful drunk comes in one morning and realizes it's his 20th wedding anniversary. He rolls over and says to his wife, Happy 20th anniversary, dear. I'm going to get you a real nice present today. Oh, really? The only thing I want is a divorce. (sighs) I wasn't planning on spending that much. It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.